0: In this episode, Hugh Slater, COO at Travel Perk, emphasizes why CFOs can never communicate enough, shares his experience of guiding Travel Perk through the existential challenge of the pandemic, and emphasizes why Travel Perk and Soldo can liberate finance teams from the traditional costly burden associated with business travel. Hi, I'm Ross. And this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Before we jump into the interview, we want to invite you, our listeners, to head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. We want to learn about how to make the CFO playbook even better. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. Hugh, thank you for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Good afternoon, Ross. Good to see you
0: great to see you too. Uh, Hugh, I would love to start. So obviously now you're chief operating officer at Travel Perk. But not too distant past you were of course CFO there and then you had a a really interesting journey towards that role of CFO. Uh, so I'd like to understand a bit about how you ended up being first of all the CFO at Travel Perk and, and when you were starting out w- was that always the plan?
1: Yeah, so I'll have to go back a very long way to to begin the the journey. So got into finance by accident is, mm-hmm. is the honest truth so I was always pretty good at maths and, and sort of science at school and was lucky enough to study astrophysics at university and then certainly in the UK you do the whole second year milk round thing going around handing out CVs to anyone that's willing to take one from you frankly and I happened to uh into a guy from British Telecom and we started talking about rugby and at the end of the conversation he's like look you may as well give me your CV anyway like we've had a good chat so I hand over my CV and then two days later I had a phone call about joining their assessment centre for the finance graduate scheme and long story short joined them spent actually a decade at British Telecom Mm -hmm. and for me finance was just a way into business it was just a route into understanding business better. And I, I never imagined sort of 20 years later that I'd still be in finance. So so that was the way in and, and spent a decade at British Telecom. It was a wonderful experience in that it's a huge organization. So every time you change jobs, it's like changing company. You get scale really quickly, which means you're doing very hard, very complex things with lots of people mm-hmm. far earlier in your career than you have any right to do, frankly. So there's a lot of learning and development that goes on and surrounded by wonderful people. So I did that for a decade, but never saw myself as a sort of career, career person in BT. I didn't see myself sort of rolling through to retirement there and always had a passion for technology. So shipped from BT and joined Box as they were expanding internationally pre-IPOs. So I joined them doing finance and operations actually in the UK office there, did that for a few years, and then became CFO at Typeform, where I was for a couple of years. That was my first CFO job. And then Typeform and Travel Perk are both in, both in Barcelona. So sort of left them and, and joined the, the rocket ship that is Travel Perk, as CFO. And And that's it. But I think the common theme there is just running towards really hard things. Surround yourself by great people and run towards hard things. And from the beginning, joining BT all the way through to now, that's basically what I'm trying to do.
0: And and the I find the the physics background particularly interesting that way because that, that that choice whether it was informed or not because we're very young people if you're choosing a university yeah, degree and often you yeah. have no clue and very bad counselling yeah. I, I certainly had that but the, the choice of physics I can just imagine you thinking go down the path of like quantum mechanics or shall yeah. I go and actually try and roll out the next generation of broadband with BT yeah that's
1: right and honestly I kind of stumbled into physics as well which is a common theme maybe. In- <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) in this, in that I never saw myself being a PhD and and being an academic in the end, but I was fascinated by astrophysics in particular, read Stephen Hawking's and and just got really geeky about it when I was at school. But what physics and astrophysics gave me is just a way of looking at the world, a way of Mm -hmm. taking really complicated things and breaking it down into first principles and then trying to piece it back together in a structured way. And that's definitely stuck with me all the way through my career. Whether it's thinking about operations or thinking about finance, it's just this looks really mind-blowingly complex. But somewhere underneath it is going to be a bit of simplicity. So let's try and look for that. Uh, and astrophysics definitely gave me that. And you're right; like I had no idea why I was doing it, but in the end, it's it's taught me a lot. In hindsight, it taught me it taught me a lot, and certainly served me well throughout my career.
0: So that point about. I- first principle thinking it's so often used and maybe one of the famous proponents of it is elon musk another another physics guy you're yeah. in good company there but <laughs> with that like, like how does that work like because i get the idea in principle you say there's something complex a complex problem but we want to like, simplify it and break it down to first principles most people would understand that idea but mm-hmm. then putting that into practice is really difficult so how do you use that how do you apply that or even when you've got people in your team that maybe are not as familiar with it how do you encourage that type of approach in their in the the way that they solve problems
1: yeah so the first part how do i do it i just ask myself why an awful Mm -hmm. lot Mm -hmm. why is this happening and usually there's a thousand answers to the why but you're looking for the main one and you just Mm -hmm. keep asking why until you find it and and I have a tool set, right? So I have in my notes, I have a list of kind of questions that I ask myself and, and I use the notes to remind myself to keep asking those questions. So it's not complicated. And in fact, it's probably the fact that I'm I like simplicity. I like things to fit into a box, right? That kind of drives me to to naturally ask those questions of situations that I come across. And then how do I do it with a team? I think it's similar. It's the journey from strategy to tactics is just asking how. You start with a strategy and say, how are we going to deliver that? Well, there's a thousand options, but what are the three best ones? Okay, well, how are we going to deliver those three things? Mm-hmm. And just keep asking how until you get down to a tactic that you can actually deliver, right, an action that goes on. So it's not that complicated. It's just, you know, you just keep asking either how on the way down or why on the way back up if somebody's doing a bit of work or why are you doing that? If you don't have a good why to it, you're never going to connect your action to the strategy. Mm-hmm. In which case, just how and why—same question in different directions—but ultimately, you'll get to something very simple. Hopefully, otherwise, you've gone on the wrong path.
0: And then, I guess, seeking that simplicity—is that something that, as an approach, you brought in and utilized when you were leading finance at Box and Typeform, and then uh, more most recently at Travel Perk?
1: Hopefully, yeah, because. I think, uh, certainly, in my experience. Human nature, and definitely ambitious uh, leaders or ambitious people, take on more than they can deliver. Right, and breaking that down into simplicity and asking those how and why questions, you often find actually, if this is a great. It's a really good idea when you say why, it takes you on a path that doesn't at all achieve our goals for the year or for the next three years, right? So mm-hmm. bringing that simple framework in allows you to focus the entire organization. So whether it's company strategy and therefore OKRs as a consequence, or whether it's your team structure and what the, what's important for the team, just that kind of one or two tools really help you focus. And Thankfully, velocity has become a bit of the vernacular at Travel Perk. So f- velocity is speed, and this is very physics, right? So I'm kind of chuckling to myself as I say it, but it's speed plus direction, which we say speed plus focus, right? So we all have to be going in the same direction and just keep repeating that, you know, back to the organization. And it just makes people stop and think, oh, actually am I moving in this? I might be going really fast, right? But I might be going really fast in the wrong direction. And that's not velocity. So we talk a lot about velocity. So it's just another tool. It's a very simple tool to help people um, move forward as in the right direction as fast as possible.
0: I think that that, that's a really interesting idea because velocity as you describe it with that direction it's very easy when you've got one moving part but when you're trying to orchestrate many moving parts across an organization and I know travel perk is growing incredibly so your complexity is probably growing in a non-linear fashion as an organization so trying to maintain that common sense of direction and, and orchestrating that that must be hugely challenging.
1: Not if you make it simple <laughs> so of course it's hugely challenging but the challenge here is. It's entropy, it's distraction. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the job of leadership, which I've certainly got wrong in the past, and I'm sure I'll get wrong again in the future, but it's saying no. I think Steve Jobs kind of famously said, you've got to say no to the what, 999 good ideas to say yes to the one great one. And that's what it is. So you've got to set that direction. And then you've got to keep saying no to good ideas that keep popping up. So mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time and and I actually really enjoy it. So we spend a lot of time thinking about kickoff for the year. So we have a company kickoff for the year. Mm-hmm. We all got into, we do it on a hub basis, but we all come together. And the leadership team and the board help us, you know, position the strategy to the company. Then we have end of week rituals. So we have company all hands every Friday. And again, we're trying to repeat what's the vision, what's the mission, what's the OKR for this quarter. It's just that constant repetition to keep aligning people i right, keep that direction where it needs to be. And then I think it's Frank Sloopman says sort of raising the bar constantly. So once you've set the direction, that's half the equation. The other half is speed. So why next week? Why not tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Right. Why are you hiring a junior and not a senior? Maybe we could get 10x out of it from that's like tweak. tweaks. So, but that's just a constant thing, right? It's not complicated. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not complicated it Requires a lot of effort to just push this entropy, put this distraction to the side and and get your head down.
0: The, I, and from working with the travel part team, which we'll touch on later on, I can definitely sense that desire to do things next week rather than next month, which is refreshing to be part of. And the point of like a, a finance role and finance leadership is that mm. there's always this delicate balance because it's the easiest thing in the world to set incredibly ambitious targets that investors love, but then actually, it needs to feel achievable to the team. Yeah. And so you want to stretch them, but you also want it to be achievable so that they maintain that, that motivation. But also then there's a slightly longer term play, again, which Travel Perk I think have been very forward thinking on from what I've heard, and I'd love to get your perspective on it later, but that you want to not just get people to the next target, but allow them to sustainably achieve Target after target after target and then not burn people out. So how how do you and how have you tried to, as a leader in travel perk, strike that balance?
1: with a lot of feedback is the answer. So we set goals. We do what I call catchball, right? So the leadership team sit in the dark room, you know, dark room's a bit stupid, but we take <laughs> we have a lot of context from just day-to-day. We take that, we then go into a dark room, set targets but we don't communicate those targets broadly. We hand those down, in the catchball thing. We throw the ball to the extended leadership team and ask for their feedback. Does this make sense? Have we missed something? Is a context not right? Is the target just ridiculous and our ivory tower isn't giving us the 360 view we think it is? And then they throw the ball back to us and then we finalize, mm-hmm. okay? So that's how we go about doing it. It doesn't mean we'll always agree. Uh, it's healthy to have that conflict and, and maybe we'll still add a bit more onto the target, but you're never going to be too far wrong mm-hmm. if you do it that way. And again, I've made the mistake of before of, yeah, we'll just set a target, and it's fine if we miss it. Well, it's not fine if you miss it completely. If you miss it by 10%, maybe that's okay. Miss it by 50% is very demoralising. Think back to my career. Where did I learn this sort of target setting framework from? I remember at British Telecom when it's the group and then divisions and divisions under divisions and divisions under divisions under, divisions under like it's just Chaos, but everyone that sits above you in that hierarchy, they have cover, right? So they always set you a target that's slightly higher than the target they yeah. have. And it was the worst thing in the world. You would miss your target by 5%. Well, you can do that as a public company. You might miss it by 1%, let's say. But the person above you is over the moon because actually you overachieved by 1% compared to their targets. So you're not getting a bonus and your whole team feels flat but they've achieved massively and their whole executive layer get bonus. It was awful. I just couldn't tolerate that. And I just don't do that now. And I know it's different in sales organizations and you roll up things, but when you set company goals, we've communicated the goal to, to the company, you know, we're very clear, this is the ambition. That's different to the board, right? I'll be transparent with that. And we're transparent with the board. It's like we want the feedback on the board on a goal we can achieve. We don't want to be coming back to the board every month, every quarter Mm -hmm. and saying we're missing, we're missing, we're missing. It's just there's a very bad spiral that happens there. So we set something to the board that's a committed goal. We will absolutely achieve this goal. Mm -hmm. And by the way, our internal goal is higher than that. Yeah. All right. No, some boards won't like it. Some boards will like it. We have a very good relationship with ours. Very transparent and they're supportive of that. But internally, we're all moving to the same number. There's no leadership team will get their bonus, but nobody else will. That's that would go against our values. Frankly, I think it's just being a good person is just all being in it together.
0: The, the layers of buffer is, is such a tricky one to get right because you, you can get burned on either side. No buffer, and actually you end up saying, oh, yeah. yeah, you have, everyone's exposed in a way you don't want to. Yeah. It doesn't offer predictability. But if you get so much buffer, there's some line in the organization where people are happy and then people are very unhappy. And the danger is yeah. that you lose but I mean, people at the very bottom. Sure. And I don't mean it in a hierarchical sense, but in the case of sales, no. it could be salespeople. You can lose them because they feel as if they're not on a winning team.
1: I think the mistake, I hadn't thought about this until now, but thinking about it on the spot, I think the mistake is we set buffers in a hierarchical, vertical way, whereas actually what we do at Travel Perk is almost set buffers or targets, I would say, in a horizontal way. And by that, Mm -hmm. I mean, we try and allocate capital based on 70-20-10. So 10% of capital will go to moonshots. 70% 70% will go to the kind of incremental incrementalism, if you like. How do you go and take what you have into a new market? It's not much risk, but it requires a lot of effort. And that allows you to set targets differently, okay? So the incremental one, it's, it's a committed target. You better hit this number. There's no innovation happening here, right? You've got to hit your number. But over here, there's massive innovation. And it might go to the moon or it might just flop. And we won't know mm-hmm. that for a year. So we try and set our targets based on that, which... I think is a much better idea than just, you know, treating everyone the same at the bottom so that the people at the top, you know, in the end get paid more money or look more successful, which I don't think is healthy.
0: And I presume to make that work, there needs to be a lot of trust between the people that are leading, owning those targets and receiving those targets, because it's very natural to look at the person, your peer next to you and say, why are they only getting, you know, 5% buffer and I'm getting, you know, I'm getting 1% or whatever it might be, but you need to really have an engaged and trusting leadership team, extended leadership team to make that work.
1: It's being honest. I think is yeah. the first thing. so it's it's over communicating, and that's something that I could never communicate enough. I keep doing more and more. I just think I'm still not communicating enough. I need to you know share more, share more context, get other people to share what they're doing between themselves. It's not always up and down. It should be left and right as well. And I think once you get everyone on the same page, there's none none of this finger pointing. It's, well, I understand Jane probability of success is 1%. So I understand why her target looks like that. And John, the Mm -hmm. probability of success should be 99%. So I understand why his target, but that just comes with, and it's not, so you could just say transparency. I'm trying to avoid saying transparency because I think it's an overused tool. Mm -hmm. I think transparency, extreme transparency, goes back to the ent- entropy and distraction. If you're just transparent about everything, not everyone needs to know everything, you're wasting people's time. So yeah. it's about the right communication, at the right time at the right level. And that requires a lot of work. It's not complicated, but it requires a lot of work.
0: We've had several guests on that have alluded to it, but one in particular that was talking about the importance of being present for their team and and communicating it. And this applied both pre-COVID and and during COVID and post-COVID as we're reaching it now or close to reaching it. But he was just talking about that because that for him, that required quite a, a concerted amount of energy to put in. Uh, he said like when he got home from work, his wife knew that for the first hour, he just needed to go and like sit on the couch or just have a bit of like alone time so that he could almost like recharge because whether you subscribed or not, the idea of like, are you energized by being around others yeah. and, and engaging that communication or or is that, does it deplete you? And I think that's sometimes what comes up, particularly with CFOs, the, the nature of a lot of the core work was something that's very deeply analytical which is often and your your energy goes into the problem and where mm-hmm. something like communication it, it's a it's a very different dynamic
1: definitely i, I complete. i mean i can get my wife in here now she'll say the same <laughs> thing it's, it's and she learned very early when we're still dating when i was back at bt It's that first 45 minutes when i come home it's just i just need my own space i need to rebuild that energy for sure i, I do find it hard but also i found covid exceptionally hard being in isolation. So yeah. there's a big difference, I think, for me is I do get energy from being around people, right? So just the, just being in physical proximity to people, mm. I find very, very energizing. But the having to force yourself to engage with people, force yourself to communicate really well, I just it's really hard. It requires a lot of practice.
0: And so that, it, that touches on actually the way that you approached it during COVID because you will have had an approach before COVID. And at that time, were you based in Barcelona? Like yeah. Largely or was Yeah. I mean, you have a fantastic uh, culture and office there, so I'm sure it was very vibrant. And then you switch to COVID. And then so not only do you have the challenge of motivating the team by COVID, but you're in mm-hmm. the travel industry and all travel's almost gone to yeah. zero overnight, a scenario that you could never have predicted. So again, at that time you were CFO, I presume. So how did you then yeah. manage that that extremely challenging
1: time? We had a board meeting the week or well, maybe ten days before lockdown started mm-hmm. and So this is, I guess, mid-March 2020. So until maybe three weeks before, it just wasn't a thing. You kind of heard about something in China's happened. It just wasn't a thing. And then you get into the beginning of March and Italy starts to kind of bubble over and there's some Mm -hmm. lockdowns. So we takes a long while to prepare a good board pack. So we'd prepared this board pack really not talking about COVID at all. And then it got to the weekend before the board meeting and actually we got a WhatsApp group, with the leadership team. It's like, guys, we need to get together. Like we can't go into the board meeting and not kind of address the, this elephant in the room that's just appeared out of nowhere, right? So, so we did that. And from the CFO perspective, obviously it was about cash Right, it's about. Mm-hmm. Oh my! If this really goes bad, we've got a beautiful office in Barcelona. So there's loads of overheads going. I think at the time we had 450 employees. If revenue goes to zero, and our cost base stays the way it is, this is going to be a serious problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though we had a very healthy balance sheet, so loads of cash on on the balance sheets. Thankfully, we'd raised capital uh, sort of <clears throat> in in the year before but still you don't wanna be staring down zero revenue and massive cash burn indefinitely. So we did some scenario planning, in fact, ridiculous scenario planning because you just don't know. So it's how long would it go on for? How deep would the cuts be, would the impact be? Uh, and we got it wrong on every account, by the way. So it shows how useless that was, but we we put a lot of thought into it and, and therefore knew what we were going to do, took it to the board. And we kinda of said, we're gonna take this in two phases because we don't know how long it's gonna be. We'll do all the variable costs as quickly as possible, we'll cut marketing, we'll stop new hires, just anything that doesn't anything that kind of trims fat, if you like, but doesn't get into muscle. Like we'll mm-hmm. obviously do that. And then we said, look, if if it's really bad and we have to, then we'll come back in I think I think we had weekly updates to them and then we will come back in two months with a new plan that says mm-hmm. we'll we'll start going into muscle, basically. Mm-hmm. So we had a pretty solid framework and my job as CFO I think was to obviously drive the, some of the thinking around it but it's it's business strategy then it's not I mean this isn't finance strategy this is absolutely business strategy you're trading off well, If it bounces back in 6 months and you've fired everyone you're going to have nobody there to sell and nobody to service your customers so that doesn't make sense and what's the signal to the market because everyone else is going to be trimming down and maybe it's an opportunity not a risk and so it's not a finance strategy and and I believe this overall in finance whether you're in crisis or not it's never just a finance strategy it's never just a people strategy it's a company strategy and then how how do you do that? And then there's the finance part and a people part and a product part. So that's how we did it. And we worked very hard as a finance team, definitely, but also as a leadership team an extended leadership team to do all of this scenario planning to kind of build an operational plan that would see us through you know, phase one, and then we repeated it for, for phase two. So that's kind of how we approach it and how the framework that I use to approach it. And again, it's fairly obvious how you, so it's high impact stuff that's low and then high cost saving, low impact for the long-term business. Is That's where you start. And it's just a sliding scale on how hard this is going to be to bear going forward. So we got through that, but we made some Pretty bold decisions, I would say. so so once we trimmed that fat, if you like, down, we then made some big decisions. So it's like actually it doesn't matter if this lasts six months, a year, two years, three years. fundamentally we believe that in real life connection has to exist, that humanity is built on communities of working or being together in real life, and we didn't think that would ever change. So if that's true, and I guess this is kind of the Amazon thing, right? People always want great customer service and low cost, So that can be forever true. We kind of thought with that mentality, well, we've got to keep building products. This is a hundred year journey to build the best product in this space. So let's keep doing it. And we actually doubled the size of of the engineering team throughout COVID, which is outrageous. I mean, it's so counterintuitive. But it was a strategy. Like we all sat down. It was a calculated risk that we were willing to take. And and in the end, it's it's borne out extremely well. So there was things like that. There was the acquisitions that we made. Mm -hmm. But you can only do that if a you've done the hard bit of taking all of the nice to haves out to begin with, and and really got to a lean organisation. You can only do it if you've built the trust with your board Mm -hmm. and your investors, right? And thankfully, we had a couple of years of really good execution that, that people believed in us as a company and as a leadership team and then slowly but surely you even through the crisis you're executing these things and people are like, oh, actually there's something really special here that's going on and then you can make some big bets like the click travel acquisition in the UK was a pretty big one to acquire our biggest competitor over there but it, in the end it's taken a lot of advice from a lot of people, have a very good board with lots of experience and they helped. They didn't agree with everything that we did. There were some tough challenges. And again, I think that's the role of a leadership team and the CFO to make sure there are those tough challenges. Mm -hmm. Some of the board would have had us certainly make redundancies, which we didn't do. And we're very happy in retrospect and they're very happy in retrospect that we knew what we were doing and we stuck to it.
0: And I see like so many parallels to some of the experiences that that we went through as well. And in our case, mm. we had Carlo, our CEO and founder, and because he been through many crises before nothing was like this crisis but there were some experiences that he drew from like the dot-com crash and the financial crisis and so forth and so that having someone that built companies and had that level of leadership and then as a leadership team was able to say listen we use the phrase that you said as well as like of course you need to trim back but you don't want to cut through muscle and into the bone because then you end up with no company left and it's extremely difficult but having that leadership to have uh, a healthy debate with the board because the board's natural thing is preserve cash at all costs. And it's really interesting that you mentioned that it's no longer a budget or a finance plan. It's a company strategy. And in many cases, a survival plan to to take yeah. on the unprecedented, which is fascinating.
1: Yeah. And, and our plan was split into three, really. But the first one was survive, mm-hmm. right? There was kind of three goals and survive is the first one. And it, in the end, we would have, I, in fact, I wrote an internal note to to the pit crew, we call uh, the teams that roll up to me, we call ourselves the pit crew and wrote an internal internal note a few months afterwards. So this was the process. This is what we went through. Uh, and we had to think about, well, I had to think about redundancies, right? In a spreadsheet way, you have to think about all of these things, all of these eventualities. And I should have been fired if I didn't think about it. And it, you know, thankfully, in the end, that's not the decision that we wanted or needed to make. But you have to go through all of these things because survival is the most important thing. Mm. And it's pretty bre- and nobody joins a VC backed company, or Certainly not after Series A. Nobody expects to be thinking about that. It's all up and to the rights. That's <laughs> the expectation. And that's just not the reality. I mean, look at some of the public companies now, the Pelotons and you know, even the Facebooks down for them. I think it's just a level of maturity that you've got to bring to the table. I'm also incredibly privileged to be in a leadership team that we were in the travel industry, a tech company in the travel industry, so definitely not a COVID winner. When you think about what was going on in the market, there was a lot of COVID winners in the SaaS space there, so a lot of the wider company could have jumped ship, a lot of leadership team could have jumped ship, but we didn't. Like, we didn't. I mean, we as a company didn't do that. You didn't see this huge attrition, which is remarkable. And we managed to double size the engineering team. So we were doing something right that was mm-hmm. sort of keeping people motivated, keeping the belief high, the sense of belonging high. And I do think it's that long-term you know, vision and mission of bringing people together in real life. And certainly COVID, nobody felt closest to their family after doing a quiz every friday night on zoom right you just it was very transactional because that's what vc video conferencing is but in real life that day when you could go in there down the pub and meet your mates again or go to sunday lunch with your with your parents is oh my god thank goodness right you finally we're back here and that's where the emotional connection comes from and that's the same at work as it is in your personal life
0: and that that point on the the return of if not normality, because it is a different world in many different respects. But the return of, of connection and people moving again, we're seeing it all, all across the continent and and even within soldo one of the things we saw a huge proportion of our customer base used soldo for traveling and um, for some form yeah. of traveling often connected to commercial activities but sometimes even the maintenance of fa- machinery in factories which actually never went away during covid because yeah, factories right. still had to run so that was yeah. actually quite an interesting thing to observe but so we saw this huge rebound last year like the our T&E related spend tripled mm-hmm. and we expect that to continue even more so this year and I'm sure you've seen similar trends all across the world so th- so it leads us on to actually of course what you see is like the the, the travel perks plan and, and some of the observations on travel um that you see for this year and beyond now that you're coming out the other side
1: the vast majority is more of the same Okay, mm-hmm. so even before COVID, and it was an interesting stat that we didn't have to think about before COVID, but was true before COVID, is one in five trips booked on the platform were what we call parallel trips. It was two people within the same company mm-hmm. doing the same trip together. Okay, so particularly in sort of the target markets that, that we both have, it's high tech or consulting or it tend to be sort of early adopters of, of technology although definitely the uh, more traditional companies adopted it through COVID, but this was already happening. People weren't all in the same office all the time. So Mm -hmm. travel was always about bringing people together, whether it's more traditional a salesperson with a customer or a consultant with a customer, but it was also this internal travel. And we've seen that increase. People have gone more hybrid, Everyone left London, right, or left Edinburgh, moved to the suburbs. And now they're sort of coordinating, coming back together once a week or two days every two weeks. or maybe it's an offsite at the end of the quarter. So we're seeing much more of this, the globalization of the workforce as facilitated by Zoom and Mm -hmm. good internet connection is actually driving a very different type of business travel. That's not just point to point. It's not just salespeople traveling to see customers. So it's an incredibly exciting time. Maybe it's different inventory you're going to need. Maybe it's long stay or off-site houses that you need rather than rather than just a hotel for the night and then you'll go to your office the next day. Maybe it's the coordination of bringing people together who might all live around the M25, but you just need to coordinate coming to the office at the same time. So. Is it traditional business travel? No. Is it still business travel? Absolutely, because the mm-hmm. job to be done is coming together to achieve more, to innovate together, you know, to build those relationships. So it's an incredibly exciting time for us. The foundations are still the same. A lot of the inventories, you still need trains, you still need cars, flights, hotels. The fundamentals are the same. So that deep moat, that huge investment we've made in that technology is mm-hmm. extremely valuable and will remain so. It's exciting to see how the world of, it's not travel, it's beyond that. It's in real life connection is evolving. It's very, very exciting.
0: It's interesting that the that the actual rise of distributed working or the eng- massive increase of distributed working could lead to significant new forms of travel, yeah. which you wouldn't have even yeah. anticipated before. I'd never thought about it that way. And then that speaks, of course, about the fact that you have invested heavily in this platform. But then the these this opportunity and these new problems and and uh, certainly new needs of customers uh, requires like other other partners, other solutions, other softwares that that weren't there in the past. Soldo being one of them, of course. I wanted yeah. to ask you about what role then partnerships and your ecosystem play in taking advantage of that opportunity.
1: Massive. It's in fact. It- Coincidentally, just before I joined uh, the podcast, I was on a call talking about partnerships because it's a huge part of our future. And we just talk about being an open platform. Fundamentally, we want to be an open platform. So companies like Soldo to partner with, just being able to partner at an API level, an infrastructure uh, level is great for everyone, particularly in the SMB space, okay, because what... Probably Soldo don't want to do, and certainly what we don't want to. We don't want to go and sell our solution and say, "Oh, by the way, take us." But you're going to have to rip out all these four other things at the same time to jam in what is a best-of-breed travel tool. But if we did cards or expenses, it wouldn't be best-of-breed, right? So we don't want to do that. We want to be an open platform. We want to have great partners like Soldo, where we can go into the customer and say, "We've got two innovation centers here coming to you, selling together, right, building the best-of-breed." And I think that the acceleration really that COVID's created because hybrid work was happening the globalization of the workforce was already happening but it's accelerated massively it has accelerated and that's sort of driven people like me CFOs to look at their tools to look at their ecosystem and say Mm -hmm. you know am I giving the best solution to my distributed workforce now because I don't want to be sending them a corporate Amex cards, you know, and going through all the rigmarole of oh, filling this paper form. And then like it's just nobody wants that anymore. And even the traditional companies that sort of are finding themselves tackling this for the first time are looking around the market and they're seeing solutions like Solder, like Travel Perk, and just takes all the friction away from them. And that's where we want to be positioned. We want to be the best in real life platform that exists out there. But we don't want to build everything. We want to partner with the world's best expense tools, corporate card tools, whatever it might be. Because I think that's how you win. Winning for us is the customer being happy. It's that seven-star service that we always talk about, right? Mm -hmm. So we can't deliver a seven-star service in travel and expense and ERPs and, and, and. That's just not what we want to do. We want to focus on that travel in real life segment and then partner with the world's best platforms for for the other bits.
0: And so in many ways, it comes back to what you were saying earlier on, which is that the the reason that you have a partnership strategy is because you're so good at saying no, to the pieces that you don't want to focus on?
1: So yes, for sure. it's Travel is a $1.3 trillion um, market. I mean, it's just enormous. So you're not going to make a dent in it if you have two squads focused on travel and one squad yeah. focused on corporate. Like It's just not how it's going to work. So we have to do that focus. And, and then, yeah, partner with, with the rest. And it's not just about us, although a lot of it is our execution ability, as in you can execute better if you focus. It's also about what's good for the customer. Mm -hmm. And I'll repeat, customers don't want to have to rip out three different things at the same time. That change management cost is massive for a CFO. Mm -hmm. And, And for what? For a marginal gain on two of the solutions or maybe even a marginal loss on two of the solutions to get a gain on one. That's not how SMB, mid-market companies work. Mm -hmm. Incentives are different at an enterprise level. I appreciate that. So we're not so focused on the enterprise scale, much more focused on almost bringing enterprise-grade travel solutions down to the mid-market.
0: And you're in the unique position for that because you're not only a leader within Travelperk, a tech company in the travel space, but you're also a customer of of the Travelperk platform because your yeah. teams will manage it and use it. You'll be using yep. many of the partner tools as well, or at least you, you'll yep. have the problems that they, they're trying to solve. So when you look at that overall, all of the different problems that are in and around that travel experience as a CFO and having been in that position what are the major ones that come to mind that you think that many of your peers want to and need to solve
1: there tends to be two one is if you already have a travel management tool odds are on your employees hate it (laughs) Um, this typical enterprise sort of type solutions right so your employees don't like it and therefore there's a lot of leakage so you put in a travel management solution to try and get control visibility reduce costs etc but then people are still going to Expedia to book their trips and they'll fire an expense receipt in at the end of the month right so it's kind of fake control Mm -hmm. and actually what you're doing is annoying your workforce so that's one side the other side is There's nothing in place, and you're quite happy for people to go and use Expedia Booking.com, etc., to book the travel, and then maybe using soldo or other cards or or expense solutions to to bring that together for the CFO. So that's the market. That is the sum total of the travel market looks like that, basically. Mm -hmm. And we don't. So what we do is we're very proud to solve for the traveler. Mm -hmm. Right. So we'll build a consumer grade tool. You can come on it, it kind of looks like Any great consumer travel products that you've ever used, come on and you can book your flight and your car and everything that you need in one basket and check out. So for the the traveler, it's great. You don't have to basically loan money to the company on your own personal credit card and then do the admin of receipts afterwards. And for the CFO or the FD, the policies built in. It's mm-hmm. one invoice at the end of the month. It just, you can put approvals in, for example. So you don't have any of that leakage because the traveler love it. And you get all of the control that you need to speed up your month end, to allocate it to the right cost centers. It's not complicated. It's very hard to do, but it's not a complicated idea. We just came at it from a very different perspective mm-hmm. than the traditional uh, players in it. So I actually, the reason I know Travel Perk is when I was at Typeform, we brought Travel perk in as a product. You know, I was sat next to our finance admin, and day in, day out, you just constantly booking flights for people, or collecting receipts, or saying yes to this and no to this, and it was just a giant waste of time, frankly. Yeah. So we implemented Travel perk, and overnight, eighty percent of her day was freed up to do much higher value work, which is, I think, ultimately what we all want to be doing, right? So it's it's a morale boost for the team and an actual higher impact for the company. And, Certainly, I think that's the job of any leader and certainly the job of a CFO is to drive up that return on investments.
0: And one of the things talking about that that has again come up as a theme which I've I've found really thought-provoking is that in freeing them up to do higher value activities, your team can move faster and you can come back to that all important word that you mentioned at the beginning go back to the physics the velocity if you've got those right solutions and not only do you have a more engaged team but you can actually move faster with fewer resources as a company which is the i guess is the holy grail for
1: many cfos absolutely it's why i believe why products like ours are being successful because we are removing that friction removing that effort the manual tasks that have traditionally been done within finance teams and tolerated. There's no other way of doing it. And we're adding a huge amount of value into the office of the CFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's all this stuff written about modern CFOs. Well, they're enabled to be modern because they're taking on tools like travel perk and <clears throat> excuse me and Soldo to free them up. And then your talent density in the team changes because you're employing people who you want to be creative. You have to still have an accounting background maybe, but you use it in a creative way, mm-hmm. not to just follow a nine-step process from receiving a receipts for a travel trip to getting it journaled into the ERP at the end of the month.
0: It's, uh, it's fascinating to hear. Um, and as as we're drawing the interview to a close, you, you've moved into the COO position, but for any of your either former peers or people who are aspiring to be a CFO one day and to get into that position, what pieces of advice would you have for them so that they could be either successful in the role when it comes or actually just be more effective as leaders within their organization if they're already in that position?
1: You're a leader first and a CFO or a finance leader second. That's a really important one. Why do I say that? Because sure, your job is to give a bit of coaching on accounting or make sure the technical side is done. But much, much higher value is sharing that context. It's inspiring people, telling them where you're going as a company, telling them where you're going as a team. So over-index on leadership, because the technical stuff actually can be found elsewhere. And over-index on company goals first, team goals second, right? Which is a similar theme, but I think is warrants saying, and too often you see people believe that actually to be successful, it's head to heads, right? The company is over here and you have to defend your corner over, it has to be about cost or cash. Well, no, that's just a recipe for disaster. You, you won't survive, you won't add value. So come together, work out what is the company goal and how can the finance team support the company in delivering it? And sometimes you do have to say no, of course, um, that's part of the job, but saying no, when understanding the goal, the ultimate goal of the company is just a much easier easier conversation. So they're the two. The third would be run towards the flames. You just have to get stuck in. Don't stand back. Whether that's in your current company, go and find the hardest problem that exists in the company. Just go and help somebody get it done. And if it doesn't exist in your company... go and find another company there's flames everywhere but that's how you grow that's how you attract great talent surround yourself by great people it's by doing hard things not by Mm. doing easy things if you want fun i guess the last one's more about fun uh my version of fun anyway is run towards the flames
0: i think it's great advice for anyone that's that's uh Looking to be a CFO one day. So with that, Hugh, I'd just like to thank you for taking the time today, joining us on the podcast. It's been brilliant to hear about your experiences and and your approaches uh, as not only a CFO, but as a leader of one of Europe's most exciting tech companies.
1: Thank you very much, Ross, I've enjoyed it.
0: One last thing, we want to hear from you, our listeners, to learn how we can make the CFO playbook even better. Head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.